I'm Kendra Rogers, and this is Paper Napkin. Thank you so much for being here with me. Terry Andrio is a proud husband, a father of four. He's a community connector who's reacquainting unplugged urbanites with rural Albertans through storytelling, local agriculture, food, beer, spirits, economic impact, and shared values. He is truly Mr. Alberta. Gosh, I said that so Albertan, didn't I? And he encapsulates so many of the values that I hold dear and the things that I miss about my home province. Terry noted that he sees people's values in their everyday impact. He mentions in our conversation, shoveling snow from the sidewalk. And I found that super interesting because it's actually the second time someone's brought up sidewalk access on this podcast. Maybe it's because they're both Calgarians who are used to copious amounts of snow, but how interesting is it that connection to both Terry and Cece means looking out for your neighbors in such a simple way. Terry and I spoke about meaningful connection, his ancestry and intergenerational impact, his inheritance of being a connection builder, and his diagnosis with Parkinson's. You know that friend you had in school? who had that super kind, super thoughtful, pretty funny dad. That's Terry. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. And I'll hand it over to Jim Button to introduce Terry. One is a gentleman by the name of Terry Andreo. He He's a farmer. And I, I've always viewed farmers. I learned this lesson from a gentleman by the name of Ed McNally. He started a, a brewery called Big Rock. And he was a rancher. And he used to always talk to me about the importance of giving and how valuable it was to the brewery. And I said, can you give me the story? Help me believe that. Not that I didn't already believe it, but I wanted to hear from him. And he said, said, if you leave your your farm or your ranch and you drive by and you see Farmer Bob's combine is sitting in the field and you know that he normally would be combining that field, you wonder. And then you come back at the end of the day and the combine's still sitting there. And then you go out the next day and the combine's there. You go, something's going on. You go to the combine and you see Farmer Bob's trapped under the combine. <laughs> and what do you do? You help Farmer Bob and then you combine Farmer Bob's field. You get all the neighbors, all the farmers. And so Farmer Nancy, Farmer Steve, they all come and they work Farmer Bob's field before they go back and work their field. And that ethos of frontier land and farmers, I think, is embodied in a gentleman by the name of Terry Andreo. He believes in that. So that'd be one guy that I would connect with. Terry, thank you so much for joining me on Paper Napkin. Thanks for having me, Kendra. Really appreciate it. So the question that I always start off with is, what do you do and why? And I'm especially intrigued by this question because I don't know you personally, but Jim spoke so highly of you. He spoke of you as a farmer and that didn't match what I saw on LinkedIn. So I'm really excited to hear, what do you do and why do you do it, Terry? I'm a madman. I've got 34 years in the advertising and marketing industry, but I do have a specialty in agriculture and agri-food and agri-beverage and, and that whole ag value chain, which is very uncommon to have. But I grew up on a farm in rural Manitoba. So everybody associates me immediately with being a farmer. You know, one of my code names is the Jolly Rancher. So I come by it very authentically and very naturally, but uh, I am a madman. That's what I do. I work for ATB. I worked uh, for seven years as the director of marketing for the agriculture division. 
I'm now the director of community initiatives, which looks after sponsorship and partnerships for the whole corporation. But I still get tied into the agricultural and the rural community, which I'm extremely proud of. And why do you do it? You touched on the fact that you grew up in Manitoba on a farm, but what brought you to advertising and specifically within this area? I'm not sure if I have one exact answer to that, but I was recruited to Alberta 14 years ago by an agency called AdFarm. They are a global company with roots completely in agriculture. And 14 years ago, they brought me and my entire family out to Alberta. Because previous to that, I was working with companies like the Richardson family, the Canadian Wheat Board, Viterra. So I was already in the agricultural business in Manitoba. And I had a retail background. I worked with a company called EQ3 and Palliser, which are furniture companies. I worked with a company called Warehouse One and Silver Jeans, which was a retailer. So I had a broad base from a B2B and a B2C perspective. So, you know, I was thrilled when AdFarm brought me out here 14 years ago and top root four kids in their teenage years. was <laughs> a tough task, but I'm glad I did it. And my family's extremely happy to be living in Alberta for now 14 years. And I'm extremely proud of my connection, but uh, really deeply rooted. So interesting. As you're talking about Manitoba, I was thinking of my mom, actually, because she was from Manitoba and she used to say that the most interesting people were from there. So would you agree? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Because our roots are back there. And my brother, my oldest brother still remains there on the original family property. We have so many friends that we correspond with and keep communications with and connected. You know, this whole conversation around connections, deeply connected still in Manitoba, because it's usually value driven that keeps us really connected to our roots and our heritage and family. Well, and great segue, because that's my first question for you is how do you connect, Terry? It's a tough go and it's a lot of work. If you want to put it in, it's, it's well worth it for sure, but there's a lot of work and Certainly I use with the multitude of channels right now between social media with probably Twitter and LinkedIn on more on the business end that I stay connected with a lot of friends and family back in Manitoba or globally. I, I really touch Facebook, but my wife gives me an update every day of what's going on. But the mobile factors, text, it's almost like on a daily basis, I'll be reaching out to people who I haven't talked to or who I talk to on a weekly basis, just to what I call a check-in. I'll drop a quick text and I cheat because I'll copy and paste it and I'll drop it into 12 or 13 different conversations over a two day period, just back and forth. And, and it's through sincerity. I really want to know how friends are holding up or colleagues are holding up or former colleagues or people I haven't spoken to, but I've, I've got this regiment that I don't wait. I go seek. And that's really my position is, I value every relationship that I have. I may not speak to you for a month or six weeks, but every once in a while, you'll get a text from me just to say, hey, Kendra, how are you doing? And really, it's just about checking in with people. But it's sincere. Like, I put effort into it. I know a lot of the people that I'm surrounded by do the same thing. And it's just, it's really authentic to do it. But it's hard work. Not everybody can do it. I don't wait. I go seek. Has that always been a mentality that you've had? Or is that something that you've cultivated? I think a little of both. It it was taught by me. Living on a farm, our grandparents lived next door to us. And next door wasn't a house away. (laughs) It's a good little jaunt away. But I saw my grandmother, especially 
my grandmother was widowed at 60 something years old, which is pretty early. And she always made sure that she knew what was going on in everybody's life. And she'd always put out that hand of gesture to follow up with people or check in with people or feed people, you know, and it was really important. And I think I learned a lot from my grandparents, just how valuable family is and how tight and how valuable community is. And, you know, my grandmother won two community awards and I'm extremely proud. When I finished high school and, and went to university, I had a trophy collection, but the, the only trophy I kept was my grandmother's trophy for the community award that she had won. The rest of them really became disposable to me because they were about me and not her and the community. And I still, to this day, still have that trophy that she won. And I think two or three years back, we went back to Manitoba and I went to the community club and found the plaque that had her name on it, along with a whole bunch of people who were of value to be on that same plaque with her. And it was kind of cool to have, but I'm positive I learned it from there. And then as you grow, you learn from other people like Jim, people like Paul Hebert, people like Michael McMullen, people who were in part of my life and still are part of my life globally. And what does community mean to you? What would you define community as? I don't think there's one word that sums up to it, but I think it's finding common ground and having consistent values. There's probably two streams. There's the value, one of what you value in family. And I I hate to say this, but just giving a shit. Like when Jim and I walk, you can really see the people in Calgary who give a shit in the winter because their sidewalks are clean. And that draws me to other people's and their values in our community, helping each other out when it snows. We have a snow blower, which not many people have. And we'll go do other people's driveways. That to me is an, an, an element of community. It's just people who give a shit will stand up for what that community needs or what it stands for or what it requires without waiting for permission to do it, you know? And you see what Jim has done in building community through the brewery, but he was doing it long before he was in the beer business. You get the value stream and then you've got the common ground thing. And the common grounds are whether you like sports or whether it's food or it's finding those people. So I have 80 million communities that I belong to because it's all really, really based on what I like. Well, and giving a shit but i think maybe the other piece that i that i heard coming through was the idea of paying it forward of putting something in without expecting something back exactly you know and we talk about it a lot our our kids have learned so much from us and we want our kids to be better than we are and i think our parents wanted us to be better than they were so you teach them what you believe is right and then you go out and watch them execute it I think about 12 years ago or 13, might be a little bit more than that, but we brought an orphan over from Belarus to stay with us. And we had 10 people living in our house that summer. Uh, A good friend of mine was getting divorced. We had two interpreters and we had the orphan from Belarus living with us. And it, it was a fantastic experience for our kids to grow up with. And about two weeks ago, one of our daughters came to us and said, mom, dad, can you look after our dog, because one of our friends is going through a tumultuous time and he's going to come live with us. And I went, that is just awesome. Like the things that they're doing without 
asking for permission that they've inherited or they've learned from you and, and my wife, Maria. And you just kind of go, we did something right. I mean, that's just one occasion and it's very isolated, but you see stuff like that happening and you kind of go, that's a pride point as a parent to see your kids doing the same thing that you taught them and without worrying about getting credibility, without getting honor or notoriety or employee everyday hero points or, or, or a ribbon or a medal. It's just, you did it because that's the right thing to do. And, you know, again, when it snows, we have a next door neighbor, single mom, the boys go out and shovel her driveway without worrying about asking her or telling her. It's like her, her driveway is probably clean faster than my driveway. So you, you look at stuff like that and you go, those are important values to have in a community that you don't wait for someone to tell you to do it. You just go and do it. And don't worry about the recognition. You don't worry about the bandstanding or the, the medal awards or anything like that. You're just doing it because that's what you believe in. And I think we, we need more people in our communities like that. One of the things that you mentioned before we pressed record was that you have Parkinson's. But the piece that I found really interesting was the words that you used. You said that you are very open to being visible and vulnerable. And that feels like another community probably that you're a part of. I just wondered if you would share a little bit more about that. You follow learnings of other people who have gone before you. And again, I'll, I'll reference Jim because Jim is the champion when it comes to doing stuff like that and the, the journey he's going on with cancer. But for me, there was probably three things when, when I got diagnosed that I didn't want to be a burden on my family was probably number one. I, I never wanted to be a burden on my family. Number two, I really didn't want to be a poster child for Parkinson's primarily because a lot of people take it the wrong way and, and become very empathetic or very sympathetic and very woes me. And my approach has always been with whatever is dealt with it is I don't want to be the one in the passenger seat playing. I want to be the one driving and still being in control of it. By being open and, and being vulnerable to the situation, you can help other people get through some of the situations that you're going through, whether it's benefits or health or advice for a doctor or recommendation for medication or the expectations of what you may encounter moving forward. It was just that was the reason I chose to take the direction that I'm going on right now is to help other people. You know, I know it's very prevalent. Like when I told my parents they were living back in Manitoba, my mom dropped the phone and I don't know what she did, but she came back to the phone like a couple of minutes later wrote that my dad and I were talking. And she said, five or six of our neighbors, the farming community all have Parkinson's as well. This is very prevalent in rural settings Things that I've learned is a lot of things have to do with presence of minerals in the water or the lack of minerals in the water. Geographically, there are some hotspots in Western Canada, as well as places like upstate New York that are all uh, connected to my background being of a rural farming background. When I heard that, I kind of went, I, I just can't sit back and let it come to me. I've got to go at it and I've got to share my story with people. I didn't know about that. And what a unique, but perhaps challenging thing to have those two intersections to yeah. realize that those two intersections even existed would feel maybe a bit frightening, but also a bit like you have people like you who are going through what you're going through. Exactly. And it's not exclusive to Parkinson. I look at it very high level as a neurological issue. 
So stuff like ALS, Parkinson's, stuff like MS is the third one. You know, so you look at those and if you can look at that and solving the neurological issue rather than the exclusive to Parkinson's. And I went for a walk with a young lady who owns a brewery a couple of weeks ago and she talked about doing a beer for Parkinson's. And I said, whoa, Christina, like, I like the fact that you want to do something because her grandmother has Parkinson's too. But I said, I'd really like to do a beer for neurological. Include the ALS community, include the MS community, and include the Parkinson's community. And maybe we go at it collectively, which again, referring to Jim's statement in an African proverb, is going together, we'll go further. Rather than solving a problem exclusively for Parkinson's, let's look at it from a higher level and say, we'll go further if we look at it from a neurological thing. So let's do a beer for the neurological society that has a poster child for each of the three bodies that exist underneath it rather than the singular. And I think in the future, we'll see a lot more initiatives go at it collectively or collaboratively rather than individually. That's quite fascinating because it touches on bringing people together under a shared common experience. In in this instance, the neurological disease that you're facing, but also the experience that you're experiencing together, as opposed to saying, this is the label that we have to put on it. And it comes back to what you were speaking about earlier around commonalities and sort of finding that common ground. I don't know if I have a question. I just found it a really (laughs) interesting circle. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that, those are the things, because I've got friends that reside in each bucket and some of the things that we're all experiencing are kind of the same. So if we can learn from each other, rather than just saying, we're going to put you in this group called the Parkinson's group. I'd rather look at it and say, I'm going to put you in this big box and there's 12 folders in that box. And you all got to learn to play together because I think you'll learn from each other because some of the biggest things that we all fight is social isolation. And that's a common thing, not just for Parkinson's, but any neurological or any degenerative disease that we're fighting. When we talk about big things like mental health and social isolation and depression, they're not exclusive to the bucket. They're part of the big picture. Why not invest into the bigger picture rather than the singular bucket? We're looking at a project rather than Parkinson's month is April and we were going to try to do a beer. And I went, no, wait, let's do this properly. Let's do it together. So we're already looking at 2022 to, to launch it because I think the ALS month is March. Parkinson's is April and MS is May. Or I might have it flipped around, but they, they all run three in a row. Why not take advantage of three months working together? and doing three different beers for three different projects that all come back to one common ground. And that's our neurological needs. So pull on a thread, if you don't mind around the woe is me comment, because it's something that Jim mentioned as well. And I think it is something that it's something that comes across oftentimes when you have these types of conversations, but I don't think that people feel totally equipped to approach these conversations with anything other than a what was me mentality what works what what would you like to see more of well i, I think at first you know the, the one thing is that I've, I've never been the guy that wants to be his shoulder rubbed and go they're there sorry because i think what that tells me is they don't know me well enough right and there's no sincerity in the relationship or the connection i think people who know me and, and understand the connection that we have because of the relationship that we came, would never do that. It's the people that don't have the the authentic connection to you that do it. 
certainly there's ants that will do it no matter if they're connected to you or not. So <laughs> I've got a few ants that always do that and know me incredibly well. But I think it just speaks to the fact that you don't know me well enough. And you don't know that there's people out there who are not going to sit in a passenger seat in life and let it go by for them. They're going to fight it and challenge it at every aspect. And they're going to share those things. And I think it's really meant to, to me is for those who know me, they don't do that at all. They won't even come near me for that. And that's, you know, when, when we talk with my kids, anything that we do, it's we pull off the bandaid pretty quick and get to the, to the meat of the story. So we don't have to deal with it. Not that we don't want to, we just choose to, to keep moving forward. Don't go backwards, move it forward. So not sure if that answers the question <laughs> accurately, but I think it's just about knowing an individual and what they want and what they will tolerate and what they won't tolerate. Yeah, I think that absolutely answers the question. And it leads nicely into another question that I had for you, which was around meaningful connection and what that looks like or what that feels like. Yeah, there, there's authenticity that comes out immediately from people when you meet them. You know, it's just, again, that common ground or finding that space that we can talk about and, and deal with it. Jim and I have a close relationship. We walk every Friday, sometimes two times a week, and we know what's going on in each other's lives. We know what's, what Tracy's doing, what Maria's doing, what Jack and Amanda are doing, and what our four kids are doing. We, we know what's going on through the whole family and through the whole community. And I, I think that's the type of relationship that I want, is really authentic and understanding of what's going on. Again, it goes back to, you don't have to call me every day to find out. My sister and I talk once a week just to catch up with each other's lives to make sure that we know what's going on. And there should never be surprise. If there's a surprise, then we're calling each other upon that surprise, right? Good or bad. But I, I think it's just being there all the time for, but it doesn't need to be every day or every hour. It, it just means to be, you're part of it and you want to be part of it. And a lot of relationships aren't balanced. So there's a lot of people who will tell me, I'm always the one reaching out. And you have to expect that. You have to expect that. If, if you really feel that there's a really good connection that's not worth giving up, then you'll keep at it. And that's what we do, a lot of us do, is just keep that point of contact going and reaching out. And if you haven't heard in, from someone in, in 24 hours or 36 hours, maybe there's something going on, but you don't panic, right? It's just kind of like, you, like for Avnish. If I text Avnish, chances are it's going to take a day. That guy's got an incredibly busy schedule. But in a day or 36 hours, I usually get a text back going, hey, sorry, man. And Jim's the same way. So you realize that a lot of the relationships aren't going to be 100% balanced 50-50. There's going to be some that approach you a lot more than you approach them. And conversely, the other way around. But, you know, if it's meaningful, you'll keep it going and they will keep I think it's really impactful what you just said that relationships aren't always balanced because sometimes it feels like there's a push to if things aren't completely equal you should let that go and and people need to give you exactly what you are giving them and it sort of comes back to what you said at the beginning around community and this idea of paying it forward but part of it to me if I'm hearing you correctly feels like it is the act of giving to someone without expectation of receiving in return. hundred percent. It goes back to the theory of cleaning the sidewalk. 
I'm not, I'm not clearing the side. I'm cleaning it for myself to keep the, the driveway clear and the sidewalk clear, but I'm clearing it for my community as well. And again, I'm not expecting anything. I'm not expecting flowers on my doorstep from my community when I clear my sidewalk. But certainly it, it's a reflection on me and my commitment back to the community to say, I give a shit about this community. It's important for me. When I walk outside and I see coffee cups or debris on my street in front of my house, I'm picking it up. I'm not waiting for someone to pick it up. And I think that's a reflection on, on me giving a shit about my community and the relationship that I have with my community. And when there's graffiti on the post box, I'm willing to go out there and clean it because I give a shit about the community. Kind of the Rudy Giuliano, the cleaning up New York. It just took a little bit of sweat equity to clean New York up. Nothing more than that. When a window gets broken, you fix it. You don't leave it. And I think that relationships are meant to be handled in the same way. If you really care about it, don't wait for someone to do anything about it. Do something about it yourself. That's really, really brilliant. Is that too deep? Is that too deep? <laughs> no, that's a perfect depth. I'm already seeing that as a quote. <laughs> so I think sometimes maybe it's ego that gets in the way or it's a feeling of, yeah, the, the tit for tat or something like that. But I really love your, I really love your perspective of, of don't wait and also get out there and, and give a shit. And it's okay if other people don't give a shit quite as much maybe as you do, because in time it will come back to you. Exactly. And I, I said to our kids, all four of them played a lot of sports and did a lot of cultural events. And one of the things I've asked my kids and all of them have done it. When you give, take away from something like a sport, you should give back and volunteer your time. And all four of them, once they finished their careers in their sports and their Ukrainian dancing and their youth groups and all of those things, they all went back and helped from what they took from. And it was very important for me and Maria to have them, when they played football, to go back and help that football program. Because it was a reflection of who they are and what they stood for. And I'm very proud of what they do. I had one daughter go to uh, Juarez, Mexico to build a youth shelter and an orphanage. She went to Bangladesh to help feed new mothers who were expecting. You know, I had another daughter go to Australia and work in Australia. The things that they've contributed back to the community is the fact that they just give a shit from what they took. And again, that is about connection and connecting back and, and relationships that exist and how important those are because we need to teach that next generation. It sounds like connection has been something that you have been intentional about and been passing on to your children in a very real and tangible way. Have you spent any time thinking about the future of connection? What do you think it will look like in five years time? But I, I think about it now because we live in this digital space and you're probably in the same boat that I am is you get a bunch of requests, especially on LinkedIn and the business community that reach out to you. And a lot of them are unsincere, and not genuine. And I've actually commented on a few of them. There was one I'll call him a kid. He seems young, new graduate, but he was on a mission to just get as many people connected through LinkedIn. And I said, I don't play that game. That's not valuable to me. You know, the fact that you want me as a number, not as an authentic connection. And I wrote him in that message. I'm not sure if he really connected with me because he might've got put off, but 
when I look at that, I kind of look at, I'm going to be very selective of who I take into my community and why. And I will ask them the why questions. Why are you connecting with me? I'll take the, the time and the effort to put that in because working at ATB, a lot of my roles and responsibilities are connecting people because when you're in a bank, you have all these segments that you can reach out to and connections and food and agriculture and beverages. And a lot of people come to me and said, Terry X, can you introduce me to an angel investor or something? And I said, I will, but here's what I need from you. When I connect you, it's representing me as a brand. It's representing my company as a brand. And it's re reflective on the relationship that I'm introducing you to. So you do not wait for them to come back to you. You got to go to them. So when I introduce you to the farmer or the angel investor or whoever, my expectation of you, if you don't reach back to them before they reach out to you, I'm not going to do this again. And so I'm very selective and very protective about relationships moving forward, just because it means a lot to me as an individual and a personal brand. It's important for me in, in the company end of things. And it's important for my community that I don't send somebody that I shouldn't be across the bow for them to work with potentially if they're not going to put the effort into it and knock on wood so far, you know, it, it's happened a few times where I've actually had to kick that person in the butt and saying, what are you waiting for? Because they haven't reached out. What's well, a Friday? Well, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> if I sent it on a late Friday, all you really have to do is just respond to it and say, Nice to meet you. I'd love to connect with you over virtual coffee on Monday or something. It doesn't have to be a, a war and peace novel. Just let them know that you're interested in connecting and you appreciate the connection that I've done or Jim have done or you have done for that person. So if I have to go back to that, that relationship's not going to exist. I think that's a really interesting point because it is something that, I've had a few of these conversations now for the podcast and we haven't touched on that. The, the responsibility perhaps that comes with someone opening up their connections and their relationships that they've built to you. And I think there's a great honor in that. I think yeah. there's a great privilege to that. And I do agree with you that there needs to be a level of respect a level of humility and appreciation for the fact that, yes, we have these digital spaces. We have these worlds where you can send a friend request off to someone on, on LinkedIn or any, any social channel that you choose, but a personal connection is so much more than a LinkedIn request. Yeah. Yeah. It's really important. I want to make sure moving forward, People who request us to do actually do the follow-up. And if they don't follow up with me, I'm following up with them. You know, because people like Chris Nealon will tell you, we're in the customer service game. You're in an agency, I'm in an agency. That's what we do. We need to keep those connections and those relationships extremely close and well-maintained. And you know, in this business, customer service is the king. I want to touch on actually around Chris Nealon because so, you know, Chris, you know, Avnish, you know, Kimberly Cornish was our first episode. You obviously know Jim. 
I love it. I love that we didn't know each other, but this is exactly the ecosystem that I was hoping to to build. And I look forward to visualizing all of the many humans. I'm sure when you see who I've spoken to, there will be even more connections we don't even know about yet. And I think that's so brilliant. And does that does that appear to you? Are you what a type of person who sees all of the connections or is it a happy accident that you seem to know absolutely everyone that I know? How does that, how does that manifest itself in your life? I, I think again, it's, it's a balance. There, there's some that really are prescribed and noted, but a lot of them just accidentally fall into place. There's a few people that I just met in the last couple of weeks that kind of went to me and said, how have we not met before? We know 75% of each other's database. How have we not met? And I'm going, just like you're in my conversation this morning, it's, we've gone to the same functions. We just haven't actually spent time together. So part of it is, is serendipitous. <laughs> and part of it is purposely driven. Like when I need to know someone in a certain segment or a field, I may not know the person, but I would reach out to Jim or Ab and say, I need to know a person in foreign exchange or wholesaling, importing, exporting, and they have somebody. So there is some purpose when I need it. Again, it's not maybe the individual, but the segment or the need. And then there's some that just fall into your lap nice and naturally and turn into a blossoming friendship. My favorite is the people who fall into your lap and you don't know where to put them or what their purpose is. And then it sort of becomes apparent to you over time or through conversation. I think the excitement of a new, a new human and a new conversation is something that I, over 2020 in the year of not being able to meet new people really in a, in a organic, natural way. Perhaps one of the reasons I started this podcast was that I really missed that, that like, who are you? How can we connect? As opposed to, I know you and I've known you for a long time. So let's have a conversation. It's such a different, I don't know. It's such a different energy to those types of connections. Yeah. And they're a lot of fun when you stumble upon someone who you feel like you've known for years. <laughs> the, the, the flow of the conversation just happens naturally. It's uncontrived, it's unscripted, and you can basically say anything you want to and get away with a whole bunch of things too. So uh, I love those. I absolutely adore those. We've touched a little bit on the virtual world. How do you foster connection in the virtual world? You've touched on it a little bit, but are there any tips that you have? Um, again, it's, it's finding some common ground. And I'll tell you a, a real story that Maria and I were in Venice five years ago. And we were in Venice right around, right at the time George Clooney was getting married. And uh, we're in the airport on the Monday or Tuesday, whatever it was after Clooney's wedding. And there was tons of people in the paparazzi, they warned us. And I'm standing in the airport and I look over at Maria and I says, does that look like Bill Murray? And she said, no. I mean, this guy looked like a cartoon character. And it looked like Mr. Magoo, you know, tennis visor, long trench coat, old sneakers. And I says, I'm positive that's Bill Murray. And I said, if once I check in, if he's still there, I'm going to talk to this guy because I'm positive. Sure as hell, 20 minutes later, he's still standing there. Nobody's around him. And I walked him and I went, 
boom boom and he just smiled and you know this big grin came over his face and and then i started talking to him about baseball because i know he's a huge baseball fan so i immediately found common ground between the meatballs reference and the baseball because he owns a baseball team in minneapolis that plays against a team in winnipeg and i knew if i found that common ground we talked for 45 minutes unscripted and it was fantastic he was majorly hungover from the wedding he was apparently george clooney's best man and it was just a great thing but i think whether it's virtual or in person it's to find that common ground to open the conversation up and to keep it going and if you can find the common ground i think those things just will come naturally I find the idea of of finding common ground, especially in a virtual world, really fascinating because I think, you know, it's a different, it's a different atmosphere. And, and you talk about Zoom calls and that type of thing. Oftentimes people jump straight into the, why are we here? What can you do for me? What can I do for you? In a way that if you were face-to-face chatting with people, you wouldn't necessarily do that. There would be more space for the casual conversation. And I have been pushing back on that lately. I think because I spend so much of my time on Zoom, you know, for work and, and with the podcast, I've been pushing back on the idea. And I do a lot of mentoring as well. This idea that you need to, this idea that, that you need to just cut to the chase, I think really removes a lot of the bits that make you want to then have another conversation with that person, you know, or engage with them again. It's like, yes, I can have a 30 minute conversation where I tell you everything that I do and, and how I got here. Or we could have a 10 minute conversation where I get to know who you are, followed by a 20 minute conversation that then ends in me saying, let's talk again, because I know a bit about you and I'm actually more invested in who you are and what you need. Yeah, and that's interesting you mentioned that because one of the things, and I'm not name dropping, but I got to know Brian Burke, the general manager of the Calgary Flames, really well. I'd see him three or four times a year, usually at the U.S. Consulate Garden Party. And Brian and I would talk once a year or twice a year about his draft choices. And he says, one of the things that he learned very quickly in life is to get these kids or anybody who are nervous going into an interview or uh, a situation like this off script. He would immediately say, that's a pretty nice watch. What kind of watch is that? And he'd get them all of a sudden off script and thinking about the watch or something else rather than the prepared essay that they were going to come and talk to him about. Like if I'm talking to you, I'm looking over your shoulder and I'm like, that's a, who's that painting behind you? Because I can't see it clearly. But I would try to get you off script purposely to get you comfortable and to find your comfort zone a lot quicker than waiting for you to go through your 20 questions that you had for Terry or conversely the other way around it. So I learned to do that. And one of my sons just went for a job that he actually got. And I said, when you're going to talk, get him off script, talk to him about food, talk to him about hockey, talk to him about two or three things that both of you can get comfortable with without worrying about following the agenda and getting down to the brass taxes. And sometimes I am that capitalist who needs to go, let's cut to the chase that's out. But by and large, I I try to do the comfort thing, get to know people, get understanding of people and get them feeling a lot more comfortable rather than scripted because that brings out the, the authenticity 
of people when you get them off script. So I learned that from Brian. I'm very thankful for that. I love, I love that. Get them off script is such a great way to frame it. Yeah. And, and it's Mandy Stobo was the painter of my, who I know, you know, probably. I do. I do. We have, I think four in our house. We have four Mandy Stobos in our house. Yeah. But again, it's that type of thing that gets people to find a common ground is to get comfortable and, and take the tension or the apprehension away from things and knowing where you can push boundaries and where you can't go. You've given us a lot of advice already, Terry, but do you have one piece of advice that you often pass on to others? Kind of like the whole Jim Button thing with introducing to other people. You just can't think of one. You know, I, I think one of the things that I always reference is the future belongs to the few of us that are still going to get our hands dirty. And that's really important to me from the agricultural community, from the rural community. It's important that we still get dirty and get down on the ground. So that whole term of, you know, the future belongs to those who are still willing to get your hands dirty is really critical. And it doesn't have to be taken in the literal sense, but spending time with your audience, getting engaged, interacting with your audience is really critical for business and relationships. So there's the point, don't stand by being a bystander, you know, get involved and get, and get dirty. I think the, the future one is probably the one that I reference the most. That's great. I love get your hands dirty as, as one of many great headlines that you've given us. Although I think give a shit might be the name of your podcast episode. <laughs> Are you okay with that? Absolutely. I think people would be surprised if you didn't use that reference. I love it. Terry, this has been so interesting. And I really, I really appreciate your, your wisdom. I also really appreciate your energy. You have such a vibrancy and such a warmth to you. And right from the beginning, when we first started chatting via email, I knew that this was going to be a great conversation because of that warmth and because of the openness with which you approached the connection so quickly. So thank you so much for chatting with me. And I just, I have one final question that you are probably aware is coming if you've listened to the podcast previously. In true paper napkin fashion, who should we connect with next and what makes them a great connection? I think what I want to do is I'm going to take you across to Eastern Canada and and really introduce you to a lady named Crystal McKay. Crystal is a past president of the Canadian Centre for Food Integrity. And talk about a lady that takes her connections and her relationships very seriously, but on scale. So we play in a small sandbox called Alberta or Western Canada for a lot of us. Crystal plays in this big sandbox called Canada and incredibly intelligent, very wholesome, very authentic. Crystal and I are, you know, tied at the hip in a lot of things. She flies out to Alberta to do her work out here, but she deals with a lot of big companies, and a lot of small companies all at the same time. So I'm gonna introduce you to Crystal McKay. She now runs a company called Loft 32, which is an advertising agency specializing in the value chain for agriculture. So the ag food game, the agriculture game and the ag beverage game. So we've got a lot of commonality and we've spent a lot of hours together getting to know each other and enjoying each other's company. That sounds wonderful. I look so forward to connecting with Crystal. And thank you, Terry, so much for connecting with me today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And, you know, those before me, I appreciate all the relationships that we have. And 
Love listening to your podcast. I will be a loyal listener. Thanks for listening to Paper Napkin. We're in season two now, which means we're starting on some second and third generation connections. Terry mentioned both Jim and Avnish, who you can meet in season one if you want to go back to where things started. You can listen to season one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at paper-napkin.com. And if you like or review us on your favorite platform, it not only means the absolute world, it also helps us reach more listeners. Thank you. And until next time, be kind.